Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. When I was growing up, my mother had this on-again, off-again tradition that... uh, She kept trying to force us into, and it never really clicked. What she would do is, at the beginning of the year, uh, like many people, she would want us to write down our New Year's resolutions. And uh, she read them to make sure that they were good New Year's resolutions. And so we had to write them down on, on a piece of paper, all of us. I had three brothers, and so we would all write down our New Year's resolutions. For some reason, my father was exempt from this practice, um, which years later I, well, I figured out why, but I I was not. And so I had to write down my New Year's resolution. My my brothers did. And what my mother would do is she would take our New Year's resolutions and she would fold them up and seal them into an envelope. And she would write on there December 31, whatever the end of that year would be. And the whole idea behind it, she said, was that we were going to open it up at the end of the year to see how we did on our New Year's resolutions, which seemed like a great idea. Uh, Now that I think about it, it's kind of sad because you have a reminder at the end of the year of all the things you didn't do. Uh, So, but she did it and it was great. And that was what we were supposed to do. She was going to put them away and we were going to look for them or we were going to read them at the end of the year. We probably did this in the entire time that I was growing up. We probably did it seven or eight times. Never, ever read them even once. Because she would hide them. And forget where she put them. She could never find them. One year, we actually found about a half a dozen of them because she had stuck them in that little cabinet above the, 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 uh, the exhaust of the stove. You know which one I'm talking about, right? The little one above the fan that no one ever uses. That's where she had put like a whole bunch of them. We found them there. And that's the problem with New Year's resolutions. And so in this series that we have been in, you in five years, we've been kind of talking about that, about about New Year's resolutions, about starting over. And one of the things that we talked about was the fact that if we only look at what's going to happen at the end of the year, that could be a little bit short-sighted for us. That looking at just what could possibly be done in our lives over one year might not get us to where it is that we wanted to be. And so if we really wanted to make a difference in our lives, if we really wanted a change that was going to matter in our lives, that maybe instead of looking over one year, that we would look over five years. And so we started off this series asking the question, who could I be in five years? I mean, if I really set my mind to it, if I, if I made a decision that this is, this is where I want to be, this is the person that I want to be, these are the changes that I want to make in my life, and I decided that I'm not going to try to do it all at one time, but I'm really going to make a plan so that in the next five years, five years from now, which sometimes can blow by just like that, five years from now, who could I be? And in the second week, we, we asked the question, what? What is keeping me from doing that. Why is it so hard? And what we discovered was, or what we talked about was, that change doesn't happen in a day, but change happens daily. In other words, we have to keep going because there's this thing called inertia. And inertia can be a good thing, and inertia can be a bad thing. Because inertia is not good if 
We want to get someplace and we don't do anything about it because we'll never get there. But the great thing about inertia is that if we take that step every day, one step at a time, that eventually those steps multiplied will get us to where we want to go. So we ask the question who, we ask the question why is it so hard, and then we ask the question how, how are we going to do it? Because it can seem overwhelming. And what we saw last week was that God's example for us is that we take it one step at a time. One baby step at a time. And so last week we said that little by little eventually becomes a lot. That God doesn't clear everything out in front of us so that we can see where it is that we're going to go. But he gives us the energy to be able to get through what is right in front of us now. And if we just follow those steps, those baby steps, a little bit at a time, that we'll get to where God wants us to be. So today, we... Today, the question I I want us to talk about is when? When? When are we going to have time to do all of the things that we need to do in order to be who we want to be in five years? And I want us to look at that, this whole idea of time, from a little bit of a different perspective than we are used to seeing it. And The perspective that I want us to look at today is a perspective that's found in Scripture. And it's found in this phrase that is seen often throughout Scripture. In fact, there are over 40 places that we can see where Scripture talks about the evening and the morning. There's a place in the book of Exodus where it talks about what happened to the children of Israel after they had gotten out of Egypt. This is post-Charlton Heston Ten Commandments. They're now out, they're through the, the Red Sea, and they are out in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they had no food, and so they started to complain. And it talks about, in Exodus, it talks about how God sent food for them. And it's interesting because what God does is he starts off and talks about the evening where he says you're going to have meat to eat. So they're going to have barbecue every night. But then he talks about the morning. And, it's, and, and what he does is he says, I am going to send you this thing that's called manna. And manna is like a, it, it, scripture describes it as a soft, flaky bread which tastes like honey. It's sweet like honey. Now, I have to tell you, when I think of soft, tasty bread that is sweet like honey, only one thing comes to mind. I'm going to show you. And for those of you who are from around here, you're going to know this. And for those of you who are watching us online, we're glad that you're here, but you're not going to be able to taste this. This is a box of gold that I grew up with. And inside, whenever I think of manna, I think of that. Soft, flaky dough. Sweet like honey. Mm. Over 40 times in scripture, it mentions evening and morning. 
It's in Ezekiel. It's in the Psalms. But the first time that we see it is in the very beginning of Scripture in a book called Genesis. Genesis means beginning, and it's at the beginning of the book. And in Genesis 1, it starts out like this. This is the very beginning of Scripture, the very start of your Bible. So if you want to follow along with me, it's really easy to find Genesis. You just open your Bible to the very front cover and turn pages until the words get really small. When the words get really small, that's where we are. We're in Genesis. And we're going to start here in Genesis 1.1. And this is where Scripture is telling us the beginning of the story. The beginning of where God is coming in and he is starting this process, which 6,000 plus or minus years later ends up with us sitting here in this room in South San Francisco. Or some of you sitting in your bed, in your pajamas, in whatever city you're in, watching us here in South San Francisco. So it goes like this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From the very beginning, it starts off like this. And it says, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is God. He's putting this into motion. He's speaking it out there. He said, let there be light. There was light. And God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness night. And then here we go. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Evening and then morning. And that's what a day was. Now, see, that's so different from what we're accustomed to. Because for us, when we think about a day, well, legally, the day starts at 12 a.m. That's when a day starts. For most of us, our day starts, when we think of the beginning of our day, doesn't our day start when we get up in the morning? Right? The alarm goes off and you wake up. Or for some of you, the alarm goes off and the alarm goes off and the alarm goes off and then you wake up. Isn't that how we look at, at the beginning of, uh, as, as the beginning of our day? But here, Scripture is giving us a different picture of what a day is. Here, Scripture is, not, is saying that it doesn't start at the morning and end in the evening. A day is the evening and then the morning. And to this day, this is how the Jews observe a day. They, they observe the day that starts at sunset because that's the beginning of the evening. It starts on sunset and then it ends on the following sunset. And that's their day. So this is the normal day that we look at, right? If we, we start here at 8 a.m. and we go 24-hour period over to 8 a.m. on the other day, and the blue bar is, that's, the, the, that's our day. That's how we normally look at what our day looks like, right? It starts right around 8, and then it goes on, and it ends when we wake up the next morning. But scripture gives us a different picture. It says, hold on, it starts in the evening and then goes to the morning. So scripture's picture looks like this. Where the day starts in the evening and it goes all the way until the morning. And then the evening again. And it's that chunk, that that yellow chunk there that I want us to look at today. It's that yellow chunk that I want us to focus on today because this is the area, the time frame that has the potential to make the biggest change in our lives. Our tendency, though, is to look at the blue space, right? 
our tendency is to think of our day as that daytime, that nine and a half hour period between 8 a.m. and 5.30, adjusted for your schedule and your work schedule, where it might be. But the reason I want to do this, I want us to look at this differently, is this. If we can anchor our day, if we can anchor our day the way God asked, has shown us and the way that he looks at it, if we can anchor our day in the evening and in the morning at the front end of the yellow bar and at the back end of the yellow bar, if that's our day and we can anchor ourselves down where the yellow time frame is, then no matter how bad the blue time frame gets, we will already have had a good day. And, and the ironic thing about this is that that 8 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. period is that nine and a half period of your, hour period of your day is the, is the time that you and I, we have the least control over it. Right? We have the least control over what happens in that 8 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. time slot because we have to go to work or we have to go to school or we have to pick up the kids from school. And take the kids to school. That 8 a.m. to 5.30 time period, that's when the doctor's appointments are. And the dentist's appointments are. That's when the post office is open. That's when the dry cleaner is open. All of the things that happen in our day happen in that 8 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. And because of that, we have a tendency to push everything into there. We have a tendency to push all of the things that we have to do in that small nine and a half hour block of time. It's our tendency is to do that. And yet it is the amount of time, that's the time period that you and I, we have the least control over. So what if we switched it around? What if instead of focusing on that 8 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., that daytime for many of us, that time where everything is the most hectic, because everything is the most hectic in that time period, right? Where the craziness of the world happens, it always happens in that time period. Where all of the unpredictable things in life happen, it always happens there. What if instead of focusing on that, we looked at starting our day here and focused on that 16 and a half hour period of time that could be the start of our day instead of the end of our day? See, I think God may have been onto something here when he started out from the very beginning saying it was the evening first and then the morning. Because in that 16 and a half hour time period, we have exponentially the ability to make changes in our lives that we can't make in that 8 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. slot of time. And so if there is a way for us to anchor ourselves in that 16 and a half hour period, then we can have confidence going through that last part that no matter what that might look like, We've already had a good day. So if we look at this 16 and a half hour period, the single most important thing that we can do to make a change in our lives in that time period is this. Get sleep. Now, I, I know what you're thinking. Okay, duh. Right? And, and, and for some of us, get sleep, man, that is hard to do. And there is a reason why Getting sleep is hard to do. It's because of this guy. Now, this is a picture of Thomas Edison. And there are actually pictures out there where he looks like a normal human being. But I like this picture because 
he, he looks like he wants to do harm to you. And he has. Because on December 31st, 1879, Thomas Edison, who designed this, the incandescent light bulb, which, as you know, is now contraband in the United States. You're not supposed to have these anymore. He designed this. And this completely changed how we live our lives. In the time of your great-great-grandparents, where this did not exist, people slept an average of 10 hours a day. 10 hours a day. Because there was really nothing more to do when the, when the sun came down. Typically, when the sun came down, before there was ele- the electric light bulb, people would have just about finished their last meal of the day. They might be sitting around the fire or sitting around the candle and, and talking, having a nice conversation. And then after that, they would shut everything off and they would sleep. And they wouldn't get up again until it started to be light again. Ten hours was the average amount of sleep that people got before this. Today in the United States, the average person gets six hours and 48 minutes of sleep per night. And it is killing us. There's a a man named uh, Jordan Peterson, and he just wrote a book called The Twelve Rules of Life. And one of the things that he talks about there is, is he talks about sleep. And, and he's a clinical psychologist, and one of the things that he saw was that just by changing the sleep patterns of his patients, just by getting them to sleep consistently every night, he was able to get many of his patients off of a clinical diagnosis for depression, simply by altering how they sleep. So today, our sleep patterns are messed up by this, but now they're also messed up by this. Right? And I love this. I I have it with me all the time. But it is totally messed up how our sleep patterns go. Sarah Mednick is a a professor at um, UC Riverside. She wrote a book called Take a Nap, Change Your Life. And she did a study on this. and And this is what she said. She said, studies have conclusively linked sleeplessness to irritability, anger, depression, and mental exhaustion. They did a study where they took a group of people and they separated them into two groups. And they didn't tell them this, but how they separated them was they asked them for 14 days to track how many hours of sleep that they got per night. And on one group, it was everybody who got less than seven hours. And in the second group, it was everybody who got seven hours or more of sleep per night. And they took that entire group of people and they exposed them to the rhinovirus, which sounds horrible, but it's really just the common cold. So they exposed this entire group of people to the common cold. The people who were in the group that slept seven hours or longer per night were three times more likely not to get the cold than were the people who didn't sleep at all. They they tested people who, who were on four hours of sleep a night. Four hours of sleep. And what they found was, was the cognitive capacity of a person who's only slept for four hours is the same as a person who has drank an entire six-pack of beer. So I don't know what job you do, but would you want someone doing the job that you do for you after they've had a six-pack of beer? 
I know for some of you, I don't want you anywhere near a six-pack of beers. But that's what sleep does. So sleep is important. And I, listen, this is not a, a you need to sleep and these are the reasons why. There is so much data out there that talks about why sleep is important. But sleep is one of the things that in that 16 and a half hour period, you and I have control over. We have control over how we get up to the time where we sleep. So we can make the decision. Are we going to move up to that sleep time and we're going to say, well, I have a couple more hours of work to do. Or are we going to move up to that sleep time and we're going to say, well, I just want to binge watch this show on Netflix. Or are we going to get close to that and say, yes, I'm going to get in bed, but I'm going to spend two hours on Facebook. Or are we really going to make the decision that understanding how important sleep is to us that we're going to make a change. So it's enough that we, we talk about sleep. Yes, we can do that. The sleep part is, is, is important. But the second thing that I want us to think about doing, besides getting sleep, is going deep. And what do you mean by going deep? Well, I want to talk about that specifically in three areas. I, I think in that 16 and a half hour period, there is potential for us to go deeper, to, to really go into making a change in our lives. And I want to talk about it in three specific areas. First, spiritually. Scripture tells us that Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening. Which is really a fancy way of saying he walked with God every day when the sun was going down. Now, some people, that's when they take their time with God. Some people, they take their time of God when the sun goes up. I'm not telling you that you, one is better than the other. But what I'm saying is, is that there was a regular time that Adam had where he spent time with God. From the very beginning, that's what we were designed for. To have that time where we can go deep in our relationship with God. And so for us to be able to go deep spiritually, we have to invest that time. And you can't do it in the 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. slot. I mean, you might be able to do it, but it is, I mean, it's just too hard. There's too much stuff going on. But it is in that time, in that 16 and a half hours, in that time in the morning, where before everybody else has gotten up, and that time in the evening, where everything is starting to wind down, where we have the potential to really go deep in our relationship with God. The second way that we can go deep is physically. Because physically, there is something that happens in our body when we make physical changes. Now, I, some of you know that my daughter at first was dragging me, and now I really enjoy going to her personal trainer. And it has been like a huge difference in my life. And one of the things that I can tell you that science has shown is that when you get uh, into exercise, when your body is regularly moving, and I'm not saying you got to go out there and join a gym. I'm just saying when your body gets to regularly moving, the two things happen. Your mood improves and your mental clarity improves. And it's very interesting that those two things are, are now solved in our culture today by two of the most popular drugs, Prozac and Ritalin. The people take Prozac to make themselves feel better, and then they take Ritalin to make their... Uh, their thoughts clear. And so for us, we have the ability to do that and it doesn't cost anything and it doesn't harm you. And it has the same effect. 
And so it is one of the things that we need to think about because in that 16 and a half hour period is where the potential is for us to go deep in that area. But the third part that I want to talk about is that we need to also be able to go deep creatively. And let me tell you what I mean by that. When we started off and we looked at the, the first part of Genesis, we saw that God, in his very first act, he started with creating. And that same creative power, because Scripture tells us, and if you believe what Scripture says, you've got to acknowledge this. Scripture says that we were made in God's image. That the creative power that God had, he put that in us. That God's thumbprint is on us. And so there is something in us that wants to be able to create. And I hope that you have realized that in that 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. period, that's the period where we exercise our creativity. But we need to have a time and a place where we can grow our creativity. And the time and the place for that is in those times around that 16 and a half hour period, that evening and morning that Scripture talks to us about. That is where that time is. That's where the deep work, the creative work happens. That's where all of our planning happens. That's where we're able to go farther than we are in any other time because those are the times when the rest of the world is in motion or the rest of the world is asleep. I never used to be a morning person, but now I love getting up in the morning because in the morning, no one is calling me. No one is texting me. No one is either. There are no interruptions. And so all of the deep work that we can do happens in the morning. But for us to accomplish that, we have to focus. And we are terrible at focusing. We were taught this um, myth that we are able to multitask. And the reality is, is that we can't. Multitasking is a myth. You can't do multiple things at one time. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Cal... Newport, Cal Newport, and he is a professor at Georgetown University, and he wrote this book called Deep Work. And in Deep Work, what he says is, is that multitasking is a myth. He says that we really don't multitask. What we do is we shift between tasks very quickly. But what his research showed was that when we move from task to task, when we got onto that first task and we start to move to the second one, our brain never really lets go of the first one. And so when we go from that second one to that third one, we don't let go of the first one or the second one. And the more tasks that we try to do all at the same time, the more that our brain is spread out over all of them and we have less focus and less ability to get anything done. We just can't do it. Because our brains were designed to focus on one thing at a time and I can prove it to you. Have you ever been driving somewhere and suddenly realize that you're lost? Right? What's the first thing you do? You turn off the music. Right? How does this make sense? But it's the first thing we all do. Oh no, I'm lost. We shut the music off because we instinctively know that when we need to focus, we can only focus on one thing at a time. When we're cruising along, we know where we're going. Everything is fine. We turn the music up. We can hear it. We sing along. Sing along badly. But we sing along. Right? But when we need to focus, we need all of the distractions gone so that we can focus. And that is the type of focus that we need to have when we're looking at who it is that we want to be 
five years from now. But we have a hard time with that. We have a hard time with focus. We have a hard time with not multitasking. And I can tell you that I believe that the single most important reason why you and I have difficulty, not just with getting that whole eight hours and 46 minutes of sleep, because that's what they say, that the top performance in the top performers in the world, they average eight hours and 46 minutes of sleep a day. The reason that we don't want to take eight hours and 46 minutes, the reason that we want to try to do as many things as possible as we can is because of this. There it is. FOMO. Not the other way around. Someone asked me that earlier. That's not it. FOMO. The fear of missing out. That's why we, we crush our sleep time, because, we're f- because of the fear of missing out. That's why we try to do as many things as possible, get as many things done, because there's something inside us that's scared that we're going to forget something, or scared that we're going to miss something, that we might miss an opportunity, that we might miss our chance at the brass ring. Does anybody still even know what that reference is to, about the brass ring? It's from a merry-go-round. In the merry-go-round, in the olden days, there, would be a, there's a, there was a little contraption that had a brass ring. And as you were going by on the merry-go-round, you tried to sling your finger in it and grab the brass ring. But you only had one chance to do it each time you went around. We are afraid that there is something better out there. And for many of us, we're afraid that there's something better out there, better than what God has for us. That's where the real challenge is. That we put aside things that we'll crush everything that we can. We'll try to do everything that we can to get everything that we can because we're not 100% sure that when we read or when we hear somebody say that God wants the best for us, that that's actually the best that I want for me. And so we have doubts. The writer of Hebrews, he wrote this. He, He was quoting... And he said, talking about God, and he said, God, this is God talking, as the Hebrews writer was saying this. He says, God says, I will certainly bless you. And that word bless is great because bless means unmerited favor. It means that you are going to have favor and it's unmerited. You don't earn it. It's not something that you have done. It's something that I am giving you. And he says, I will certainly bless you. All of those things that you want to accomplish in your life, I will certainly bless you. All of those financial goals that you have for you and your family, I will certainly bless you. All of those relationship things that you need to get started or that you need to have healed, I will certainly bless you. And in that 16 and a half hour period, in that evening before the morning, there's an opportunity for us to feel and to see how God will certainly bless you. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says this. He says, therefore, because right before that, he was talking about how God is going to bless us. He says, therefore, therefore, for all of those things that God is promising to you and to me, he says, therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, which is just a fancy way of saying us who are running to him because we can't do it on our own. We have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence. Great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. 
And then he writes this. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for your souls. If you are here today or if you're watching us online and you are not a Christian, then this may seem like it it doesn't make any sense to me. This may seem like that's a weird thing to say. And if you haven't experienced it, it's very difficult for me to explain that to you. But what I can tell you is this, is that all around you, maybe people that you are related to, people who are in this room today, there are people here who years ago made the decision to place their faith and trust in Jesus. And some of us here know that Jesus is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. That we've experienced it in our lives. That we've experienced death of a loved one. And it was Jesus who anchored our souls. That we've experienced financial problems. That we've experienced broken relationships. And it was Jesus who anchored our souls. And that same Jesus who years ago promised that he would be there in your time of need is saying to us today, I have not changed. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that I am a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.